This podcast is brought to you in part by the estate of Bob Nelson. Bob was a lover of all things San Diego and a longtime supporter of Voice of San Diego and its podcasts. We at Voice of San Diego are honored to have his support during his lifetime and continued support through his estate planning. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. Um, you, your analogy was, you know, when you're fishing, you look for where seagulls are dive bombing on the water. And um, well, the seagulls are dumb. You look for the other birds, but I get it. Okay, yeah, yeah, whatever. So what seagulls are like the dumbest? Okay, o- ospreys. In the, yeah, ch- in the Chesapeake Bay. It's fine. It's fine. We don't need to get into it. You don't know your, your birds and wildlife. It's cormorants. Fine. Cormorants? Cormorants. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. In La Jolla, it would be a cormorant. In Chesapeake Bay, it would be an osprey. Uh, okay. So, There's ospreys here. They're, they're wonderful. Yeah. They just don't usually show up in the deep. It's in, fine. Okay. That's fine. Cormorants then, which can swim quite a ways underwater. They're, and they're like ancient birds, very old. They yeah. Go, yeah. Like dozens of feet down. Lots um, of poop. Lots of... Um, Guano. Yeah, the, I mean, the La Jolla Cliffs are just overrun by cormorant droppings. Welcome to the Voice of San Diego podcast in partnership with News Radio 600 Coco. I am Scott Lewis, the CEO and editor in chief at Voice of San Diego. I'm joined, as always, by assistant editor, my friend Andrew Keats. Scott, what's up, my man? Coming up on the show this week, good news. The pandemic's over. No, really, this time it's it's over. It's well, it's ending. Okay, maybe it's not ending. It looks good. Well, I don't know about that. We have some interesting data. It is not over, of course, especially not in homeless shelters and in schools, but we got some good uh, indications that things are going better. We're going to talk about all that breakdown, some of the latest numbers. And this is the last podcast before the recall election. We've reported on former mayor Kevin Faulkner for years. We know a lot about him and his career, and now he's in his most high-profile race ever. We'll look ahead to next week and give our thoughts on this super weird election and assess whether Faulkner is better off now than he was before he ran for governor. First, we have a couple of updates from the deep voice of San Diego vault. If you're a fan of this show... You will care about these things. Let's get into those. All right, first up. Some of you folks might remember the name Michael Colantuano. Andy, you know the name? I do. One of the 
foremost municipal law experts in the state of California by reputation. The mayor has asked the city council and the city attorneys asked the city council to approve a conflict of interest waiver so that they can hire Colin Tuano's law firm again, this time to work on Measure C. You'll remember Measure C is the, the effort to increase the hotel room tax, use it to expand the convention center, and to provide homeless services and road repair. All of that money is waiting. They want it so bad, but they can't get it. Measure C got a bunch of support by the voters in March 2020, but not more than two-thirds. And of course, the city is now arguing that it legally passed because it was a citizen's initiative. As expected, although not as was written on the ballot, which makes all the sense in the world, obviously. Yeah, they, they, the city attorney is now arguing in a court that it didn't need two-thirds vote, even though she said to the voters on the ballot that it did twice. Didn't, to drive it home, she wrote it twice. Which came after the city had clearly in, stated its intent to, that, for it to do yes. this, what they're trying to get it to approve now, but which they did not, or she did not write on the ballot. It's all very sensible. Now, the, the city's hiring of Colin Tuano is fascinating on multiple levels. This is the guy who first came up with the way the city first tried to finance an expansion of the convention center by raising a tax on hotel rooms, but they did it in a way where people didn't have to vote on the tax. The people who got to vote on the tax were the hotels themselves. They, yeah. they argued essentially that the, the voter requirement was satisfied for that hotel room tax increase because the voters were the hotels. Yeah, that there was this election. We held an election about yes. 10 years ago in which hotel owners received ballots in the mail and voted to raise hotel taxes to pay for a convention center. And they actually got votes, if I'm not mistaken, commensurate with their size, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So the bigger the hotel, the more votes they got. Now, which, mind you, all of these hotels are owned by multinational corporations. So it's like, it was like yeah. ballots being mailed to like, you know, the Hilton family or, or whatever, uh, like yeah. smoky backroom David Lynchian figures run that organization. They voted for right. the tax. That was the, the conceit that uh, Michael Colantuano came up with as a way to right. satisfy the state constitution's requirement that taxes are approved by a vote. Now- the whole requirement about voters is so that the voters can decide if they want to pay that tax or not. And since the people who are paying the tax were not being asked to vote in this situation, clearly, even though that they were trying to make this argument, it was, it was a tax on the hotels, not on them, even th that they were clearly going to put the tax on your hotel bill. Anyway, all that said, even the city attorney at the time, Jan Goldsmith, thought it was shady and said like, no, I don't think we should do this without a, without a court ruling that says we can. So they put it up. The court decides, nah, <laughs> this is whack. You cannot do this. Yes. Remember that? Remember that whole thing? I do that remember was quite it a thing. Yeah. And, you know, for, for Goldsmith to be like, this is too shady for, for, for me, like he, th th it, was, it, was, it was really shady. It didn't work. 
So now fast forward. This ruling passes in 2017 from this, uh, the California Supreme Court, hands down a ruling. Sorry, it didn't pass. They, they hand down a ruling that says that the requirement to, for two-thirds vote for a special tax increase uh, is, is a part of the California Constitution that we don't think applies to citizens' initiatives. And so you could take a logic from that to say that they were saying that if you did a citizen's initiative, you could increase taxes without a two-thirds vote for a special cause like this. And so a lot of us looked at that and said, holy moly, that's really important for local civic affairs. And they might try to raise taxes more often for things like stadiums or a convention center expansions because they won't have to try to get around the two-thirds vote like in these crazy ways that Michael Colantuano and others have tried to get them to go around for so many years. Yeah, a lot of people did think that that was a big deal, but one person who really thought that was a big deal is you, and you were kind of digitally yelling about it for quite a while. And People thought... And a lot of people called you an idiot. They they thought I was being... Hopelessly naive, right? Yeah, that the the, the the ruling did not say that 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 was a and one of them was Michael Colantwine, <laughs> yeah, who was like, no, this doesn't change anything. He said, "quote It's much ado about nothing. Doesn't change voter thresholds or the question for tax hikes." This was Michael Colantwine, two thousand seventeen. Mm-hmm. This thing, as as told to our our old friend Liam Dillon, Liam Dillon, yes. Fast forward, San Francisco and a couple other places decide to try. They pass citizens' initiatives that don't get two thirds, and the Supreme Court says you're right. They didn't need two thirds. And so here's the rub. We this is all preamble to you taking a, a little victory lap, which I guess you deserve. That you were right. It seems. Thank and you. he was wrong. And so, yes, exactly. So at our friend Liam Dillon asked him last year at this time, literally a year ago today, what, you know, I remember, I'm old enough to remember when you said this was much ado about nothing, doesn't change anything. And, and Michael Qualantuano said, indeed, my client's position has changed. So fast forward now, one exact year later, and Michael Qualantuano not only believes this is now much ado about something, but he's been asked by the city to now make the case for the city's own effort to raise the hotel room tax, to expand the convention center after not getting two-thirds vote, but getting like 64 or whatever percent. Quite a circle of life, yeah. Andy. Circle, uh, roller coaster. I don't, I don't know what the, the appropriate uh, metaphor here is for Michael Qualantano's specific role in our convention center crisis but uh he's he's played a different well, role he's played a number of different roles i think it's a rock out a couple times yeah maybe this is the one yeah. he hits out of the park all right the next one I, let me just voice ask Sandy. you well, i gotta ask you yeah. real quick how yeah. many times on this podcast do you think we have done that whole backstory about this legal question i think we've done it 57 times yeah where would what you, do you think? Was that a good one or medium? I think it was pretty good. I think it was pretty good. I, I don't know. Those words like 
I don't hear them anymore. It's like a song that you've heard <laughs> of like like 200 times. I don't even hear it as music anymore. Yeah, thanks, Andy. Uh-huh. Uh, all right, well, let's turn to something you care about. Then. Okay, yeah. Andy. Uh, so, so, you know, look, this is all appropriate because we just uh, what we just discussed there is very much a down-the-middle San Diego special, as we've coined it, mm-hmm. the, the quest to expand the convention center. And so when we did a week of content on that recently, we had Mayor Todd Gloria here discussing that matter. And at one point in the interview, you asked him if he could uh, could help you identify what the, the telltale signs are for uh, when a San Diego special is, is, is coming about, is, com- is taking shape. Anyway, this is what uh, Todd Gloria had to say about what, what signaled that a, a San Diego special was taking shape. You know, if you're looking for like signs, if there's like a San Diego special out there, you know, like when you're fishing, you look for birds that are in the ocean. Like if you see a task force, do you know that there's a San Diego special? Uh, <laughs> yes, uh, 100%. Uh, and, uh, you know, I can think of a lot of my good friends who've served on these task force over the years. <laughs> and I'm not sure how they feel about um, being a, maybe a chapter in the story of, of uh, San Diego special volume one. Yeesh. Well, so I said shortly after that, that, you know, I was, was glad to get that audio because I, I was certain to bring it up the next time that uh, I saw him announce a task force. And then this morning I found, you know, what is a task force by another name than a working group? And uh, Mayor Todd Gloria announced that he had formed a middle income housing working group. His tweet on the matter was, quote, we must create more housing for middle-income San Diegans. Today, I announced my new middle-income housing working group, a diverse group of bold, creative thinkers who will advise me on ways to fill in the missing middle. And, hold uh, on, hold on. The middle-income housing working, housing working group. group? Yeah. Now, look, I'll, I'll be the first to say that, uh, you know, the missing middle, as it were, the middle-income housing problem, here in uh, in San Diego, not a thing that a lot of other cities, especially in California, have solved. So, make no mistake, it's a tough nut to crack. But this middle income housing working group, no shade thrown at any of these individuals. If you were to go look about at my stories over the years, you'd see a lot of people I've quoted many times. Yeah, love love hanging out, talking to them. Um, one of them, even a, a former employer of mine and, and current friend. So look. Probably a high percentage of Boys San Diego podcast listeners, by the way. So let's. Uh, yeah, no. So <laughs> good people who ha- definitely have good ideas. However, working group, <laughs> never a good sign about the likelihood uh, that this is going to to be the thing that that births a solution to a vexing problem, and that that is the opinion of one Mayor Todd Gloria. Well, we'll see how it goes. We're looking forward to solutions about that. There's no question. I would call it a cost of living crisis in San Diego. The housing costs added to the high costs of power and water. And transportation, the transportation, cars, car car storage, the amount of gas. gas Yes. Yeah, no, I get it. There's a lot. So hopefully, Godspeed. Good luck to that working group.
Uh, there was a really interesting story in the New York Times recently about um, COVID's mysterious sort of two-month cycle, that if you look at the rates of cases and hospitalizations across the world, uh, India, the UK, all these places, you see a, a crazy com- consistency that surges of COVID-19 happen and they, they go down after about two months, sometimes two and a half, three months. But there's a spike, and then it comes down. And when, you, when that story came out, you could look at San Diego's numbers, and you could see the faintest hint that maybe we were headed down that same path. And it looks like we are. There's, now we have yet another week's numbers. Uh, the numbers of cases have started to go down uh, they used to be consistently over a thousand per day. Now they're consistently below that. And hospitalizations uh, had gone above 700 per day of people who were suffering, fighting COVID 19 in hospitals. And we were talking about the strain that was having on nurses, on doctors, on hospitals, and, uh, and how they were clamoring for more restrictions or mask mandates uh, so that they could handle all of this. But it does look like we are coming down the other side of that. Now, of course, that can all change. Maybe Labor Day, things, uh, things got a little nuts. Things People had some fun, did some COVID spreading, shared some aerosols, all those things. But the graph looks good. And uh, I mean, look, not for the people who are suffering and fighting COVID-19. But if you check out the graphs, we put them in the morning report on Thursday morning at voicesandiego.org. There's more too. Uh, the, it's, I also it's, recommend- it's, really, it's really the trend line that looks good. If we were at this absolute right. level three months ago, we would not be particularly happy about it. But it's more the, oh, the direction of things not. that seem uh, positive. There are still dozens more people in hospitals than there were last year in that July spike. Again, another two-month spike. So this is this got bad and got gnarly. Now, one of the other notes that came out, we do this, we've been doing this the last few weeks. The county reports that since March 1st, 2,055 San Diegans have gone to the hospital to fight COVID. 1,984 of them, or 96%, have been unvaccinated. So that's just, again, and I think go back to your point, Andy, like we're, we're also talking about a much different denominator there. Two, that's, that's the difference of what, like, 2,000 people yeah. out of a population that's 2 million less. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think this, you can... It's like as stark as it gets. Right. Even, even when, you, when you, if you go to cases, which, you know, in, in the last uh, few reporting periods, the, the percent of cases that were among people who were vaccinated is high. But you must remember there, you know, I think I saw it was about 40%. In that case, but even still, the adult population is eighty-five percent vaccinated. So that's a, a, a very small percentage of cases, even considering it represents the vast majority of the population. Yeah. Well, next week we got our, our favorite immunologist, Dr. Shane Crotty, coming in uh, to do another interview with me and update things. I got a lot of questions for him. Uh, you know, what is actually a breakthrough uh, infection? My friend, I have now two friends fully vaccinated who have gotten sick from COVID-19, didn't have to go to the hospital, which I think is part of the point, 
But uh, what did uh, you know? What does that mean about what is that a breakthrough? What are those things? What questions do you have? Let us know. Uh, you can email us at info at voicesandiego.org, info at voicesandiego.org. What are your questions for an immunologist now about uh, booster shots, kids, uh, how our bodies are reacting to this? You can also email me at scott at voicesandiego.org. I'd be interested in your uh, questions for him. So there was one other note about this this week. Uh, there has been, you know, at first there was this odd circumstance where where homeless individuals actually seem to be less uh, susceptible or transmitting the virus less than some of their counterparts in and uh, and you know that was obviously a blessing along with some of the, um, the the results we were getting about kids. Well, that seems to have changed with the Delta variant. There's been a sudden spike in cases at two downtown shelters for the homeless in San Diego, and disputes have arisen uh, after requests for more COVID tests. So we did that story. Lisa Hallerstadt has been following this issue. She tried to shed some light on the struggles that the city and county are facing with those shelters and, and making sure that there's access both to tests and, and like places to go. Right, Andy? And one thing that Lisa's story made clear, shelters in this county were not following. The shelters in don't seem to actually have control over this. This is administered by the county through the housing commission at the shelters. Uh, they were not conducting testing with the regularity that is recommended by the CDC or the uh, Interagency Council on Homelessness, both of which say that these sorts of group living environments should be doing weekly testing of all residents. They were doing monthly testing. So now uh, we can't say with any sort of uh, conclusivity that that this would have found it, uh, but these are best the best practices. This is official guidance coming from two very uh, significant organizations relevant to this to uh, to this arrangement, and they were not following it, and they are now. Yeah. So they they have they have switched now to to weekly testing going forward. Yeah, good story by Lisa Howard. Check that out now. I know I'm going to be written off because I am such a, a, a booster homer for management at San Diego Unified School District. So you might discount. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, the problem with being so outspoken is that like when you're outspoken on a topic, you, you like everything you say just has to carry a caveat. You can't. Yeah. So, you know, you've been so positive of San Diego Unified yeah. over the years that now when you give them some praise, no one's going to be able to take that seriously. Yeah, exactly. So take it with a grain of salt, considering the you know my my booster status. But I gotta say, one entity that seems to have handled this all this quite well is San Diego Unified School District. So I have friends across the country who are you know were mad that there wasn't a virtual option offered if they wanted to avoid uh, the risk of going back to school, or they just liked being online more. San Diego Unified has a really good. Uh, Academy setup, I think that uh, they're having some success with, and that is a good alternative for people. Uh, I don't think other districts took as seriously uh, the the question of air quality and ventilation and air filtration to protect people from the virus and make sure that it gets out of the classroom before it gets into somebody's nose. San Diego Unified did. They focused on that above uh, other things, the masks, they did the air filtration, they did the ventilation, they have the CO2 monitors to make sure the air is turning over, and uh, they have a robust testing program. I have places that are wondering why can't they do testing in their schools. 
We're doing a robust testing program. They're, they're uh, very transparent about the results. They're very communicative about everything they're doing. I got to say, San Diego Unified's handled this quite well. I've been very impressed. And maybe that'll change when my kids get quarantined or something, but they've been also relatively unaffected. My daughter is super mad still that she can't uh, have a playground uh, or uh, have recess with her friends from other classes, which she's... Uh, which we agree is like maybe you could let them play together on recess, but whatever, I can deal. Yeah, that seems like deal. Some, that seems in the grand scheme of things after what we've been doing with the last two years. It's like yeah, we'll we'll, we'll live with that one. Um, I find myself doing the thing that I used to hate, which was like, and also, what about refugees that have a tough life? Yeah, you know, right. She, she doesn't. Yeah. Uh, well, is the the testing protocol is important because otherwise. It, look, look, breakouts are one thing. We obviously don't want – we want to control and stop and prevent breakouts, obviously. But a concern if you don't have a robust testing is you don't know you, – you don't, you don't have the information gathering about who might be infected. So you have to just presume that everyone who has been anywhere near somebody else who tests positive is. And so you have these massive quarantines that shut people down or take them out of school for for – uh, long periods. And so the the whole point of getting people back into school is to, for them to actually be in school. And if you don't bring this testing program with it, you could be so often forced to err on the side of caution with quarantines um, that you don't actually achieve the end goal, which is having kids in school. They have been able to uh, not get in that situation. As you said, there have been a few positive tests in your school, right? But it hasn't been resulted in shutting classes down or yeah. hundreds of kids being forced into quarantine because they've had the testing to go with it so that they actually know who has uh, been exposed or who hasn't. Yeah. And they, they, uh, if you're out there, if you're sending a unified parent and you haven't done the opt-in for the tests, I, I recommend it. Fine. My son did it. Um, my daughter did it. They've both been tested already. And you get the results like in a few hours. It's been pretty, pretty well run. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. We're going to have some unsubstantiated speculation and spout off on the California recall. Stay with us. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's Program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on Season 2 of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. All 
All right, this is the last podcast before the recall election. Uh, you know, we're not state politics experts, but we're pretty good. We know things. We watch things, see things. We also are intimately familiar with one of the candidates running. He's not doing so well in the polls. Maybe the polls are lying. Maybe they're they're skewed. <laughs> but old Kevin Faulkner pulling about 4% right there along with uh, Jenner. And uh, John Cox, the bear, the beast. Uh, yeah, boy, and- he's just not distinguished himself from the, the field of other kind of candidates at all, has he? No, no, he hasn't. It's clearly being dominated, at least if you support the recall, by Larry Elder, the uh, talk show host from the Los Angeles area. He's been, he was in San Diego, uh, went to Rudford's, the diner. Yeah commiserated with the owners there and said he, you know, talked about the problems with the restrictions, the COVID restrictions and such, which again, there aren't any Yeah, I was right going to say, they went there to see that as many people as can fit in the restaurant are allowed to go there to eat <laughs> indoors, uh, not Without wearing mask. masks, and also that there's a very liberal outdoor dining policy that is entirely new that increases the restaurant's capacity. So- it seem, yeah, uh, it know, seems like they're really doing s- quite well. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know what they saw this at what what elder got to like look at. Normally, when you go to these things, you're supposed to like they at least go through the motions of like showing somebody like can you can you believe this? Can this? Yeah, you know, I don't know what they would have demonstrated at Rudford's. Yeah, you, where you can they couldn't even complain about rat masks because you're you're not required to wear a mask. They never pass yeah a mask mandate. I don't maybe county. like some line cook like made an an omelet wearing a mask and Larry Elder yeah. just like watched like, it and Ooh. was like, oh my God, that is, yeah, disgusting. that is tyranny. He had to wear a mask <laughs> while he made a Greek omelet. <laughs> well, so uh, I keep getting a lot of questions about this and how it's going to work. Again, there's the yes or no question. And a lot of people, you still get to vote on the second question. Who do you want, if it's yes, to replace uh, Governor Gavin Newsom? I think when we look back, the biggest, the best thing as as far as like political move that Gavin Newsom made was to keep Democrats off that other side, because if you if they had an Antonio Via Antonio Via Ragosa or somebody like that running uh, for the the seat if he gets recalled, I could see him making a big case to recall Newsom and offering an alternative to the Democrats. But the Democrats seem to have are seem to be. Coming home to Gavin Newsom. We'll see if that holds. The, the, again, the polls could be a mess. Uh, but uh, there was never an attempt by any of them to appeal to Democrats. There's a lot more Democrats than there are Republicans in the state. Is that a surprise to you? Not a, they didn't at all. No, None of them. I mean, Larry Elder's closing the, the front runner. So we can – let's stipulate here that – it's entirely possible that the polls are all wrong, but to the extent that we that the polls aren't wrong or are the closest thing we have to data to go on, they're painting a very clear picture of uh, a yes/no decision that isn't especially close, and Larry Elder as the front runner also not especially close. And like Larry Elder's closing message was, "I will appoint a Republican senator once." Diane Feinstein hopefully dies and she will impose a far right 
agenda in Washington, D.C. by shifting the power of, at the Senate. Now, that is an interesting closing message in a state where Democrats far outnumber Republicans. And, and independents tend to lean, lean Democrat to the left on that. And yeah, no the, Republican has won a statewide race here since Arnold Schwarzenegger's re-election. Re now, you could, you can, in an alternate reality... Unless there's some lower race that I'm forgetting. But I don't you know. could picture former mayor Kevin yeah. Faulkner yeah. going down a path where, remember, his most significant accomplishments in the city of San Diego were left like he he embraced the climate action plan and the hard requirement of the city to go to 100% renewable sources of energy mm -hmm. like that we would we would not use greenhouse gases to generate energy in the city of San Diego because of a law that he supported and passed when he finally made any sort of progress towards this long sought goal of building a convention center, it was because he embraced labor unions and brought them to the table. Yeah. Uh, his, his, his only action on Yimby schools- The movement is like a left movement that he yeah. has associated himself with. Like his, his appeal, such as there is one, is like, oh, you're a Republican mayor of a blue city and you have worked well with Democrats to some extent yeah. In, in, you know, and, and that is how you've, you've succeeded. And he, he had to run away from that. He had to go out of his way he, to, he, to not talk about those things. No, he, he, such, he decided, such as completely reversing himself on like the, the primacy of single family zoning, which he had to say is like obviously the most important thing in the world, which is a, a complete 180 degree reversal of where he was one year ago on that question. He, um, he gave so. a state of the city speech that was defined entirely by the statement i am a yimby yeah i am i want to build homes in your backyard in our backyard in my backyard in all backyard right that that, <laughs> that which it, and that like the people on the other side of that question were like selfish homeowners selfish wealthy homeowners that were preventing this the the city from from addressing a major problem and, and he can't even do that well because did you see Elder? Elder had Scott Bayo, remember <laughs> that guy? <laughs> he had Scott Bayo up the other day, and he's like, "If you keep Newsom, Newsom's gonna get rid of single family homes." And everybody's like, "Ah!" Yeah. It, it, Faulkner can't even do it like that. Right. Like he's he's just like, and so instead of running to the left as the guy that might be the alternative to Newsom, which is with a, a much more open area. In a world where Democrats didn't even put somebody up. Didn't put anyone. And yeah. he knew that they weren't putting anyone right. up. And instead of taking that vast field for himself, he's fighting for these MAGA scraps with the guy who the MAGAs love. Yeah. They love and Elder. That, he's 100%. He got it. And that like, he like, you know, exactly what you're saying. He, he's not, he can't do that. He, you know, he, it's not no. in him. It's, it's, no. it's obviously pretend uh, so he's doing it. There is a story you had an insight on. Um, so uh, this came out. The UT helped us understand it. So he was he 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 wanted to be known as retired San Diego mayor. You can't be known as a former anything on the ballot. You have to be current what you do. 
So, you know, obviously former San Diego mayor would be the most accurate description of him, and they should have let that happen. And that's dumb that there's a law that won't let that happen because that's the best way to describe who he is. Anyway, instead he had to come up with something else. Of course he went with businessman. He's nothing of the sort at all. No, but he I, called yeah, himself a business. Like, what, what, that, what's so funny about this law is one is accurate and helpful. But he can't do that because it's against that. the law. And then the one that he can do as a matter of law is obviously inaccurate. <laughs> anyway, the, the lawful description just... is clearly wrong and unhelpful. So you were the first to report, like, actually where that came from, how he can justify being a businessman. And what's the arrangement? He's uh he's a uh, like a on contract strategist for his former chief of staff's consulting company that uh as she told me she described to me has one client right now which is IQHQ it's this uh tech re- real estate tech company that purchased the development rights for most of the old Manchester Gateway uh, area down by the San Diego waterfront and is building like the a, old Navy Broadway complex Navy, right the, there on the waterfront. At building Broadway, like a life yeah. sciences company. So they're working on that. They need some uh, some government outreach consultant help. They hired former Kevin Mayer, Kevin Faulkner, chief of staff, Amy Fawcett to do that. She did it through a company that she created. This is the company's only client. And sometimes she asks... Mayor Faulkner, former Mayor Faulkner, for help in that, and he provides his expertise in government. So this isn't something we're coming up with. This is how he defines himself as a businessman. It is, it is that arrangement it's, that qualifies, quote, businessman on the ballot. Bi- like, and and so like businessman is like businessman is like a dumb term anyway, because like I don't like I, I I don't know like, but it does imply somebody who like built a business, which right? he did not do. He did not do not that. Not at all. No, he, like he's he's a like consultant. He doesn't even claim to. This so this, this is even the weirdest like even world. to call him a consultant, it'd be like, all right, you you do have that arrangement, but like, are you really a consultant? Like, I, you're running for governor. Yeah, yeah. Like, clearly not. What he should be called, what he should be written on, is like candidate for governor is what it should say yeah. under his name. Yeah, <laughs> so like that's a, what he spent the last year doing. <laughs> yeah, no, recall. I, but it look, be, it, again, it should be here are the recall candidates, and under his name, it should say recall candidate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, no, exactly. But in in place of that, former San Diego mayor is the way it should be. Yes. However, okay, uh, businessman. Yeah. So the UT this week, you had broke this story about where he where he gets that title justified from. The UT this week, Jeff McDonald uh, published a story heavily implying that Amy Fawcett, who runs that company is basically taking money from the campaign. And again, the story doesn't explicitly say that as she gets paid as a consultant to the campaign, but that uh, by putting that next to Faulkner's arrangement, the story implied that there was some sort of uh, fungibility of assets going it, back and forth, that basically the campaign yeah, was paying so, him. Let's see if I could try this. So it, the allegation is she has two companies. One is this company that Kevin Faulkner works for that has one client, IQHQ. The other one is like a political consultancy that provides campaign strategic help to campaigns. Uh, and so she is – that company is a client of – or that company uh, is a vendor for um, the 
Kevin Faulkner for governor campaign. And so you can't put campaign donations in your own pocket. And I, there is a, an, a, an insinuation that that's what's happening here, that donors are putting money into Kevin Faulkner's campaign. Kevin Faulkner's campaign is paying Amy Fawcett through her one of her companies, and then her other company is paying money to Kevin Faulkner as an employee. Um, it, but it, I'll also say it doesn't explicitly say that. It explicitly says that there is no evidence that there's like a pass-through of the same money or anything like that. But it says that the amounts are in the same broad range. Now, I would say that that broad range, one problem there is like the broad range is between $10,000 and $100,000. Which is a pretty broad is, range. It's a quite a broad range, yeah. Um, and so like it's also a broad range that you would expect to have like to, you would expect that dollar amount to be where these totals land, even if everything was on the up and up. Like how much he would receive from her would be you would expect to fall in that in that category, and how much her company is getting paid by the campaign you would expect to fall in that in that range. So the the range doesn't really move the needle for me in any way. Uh, but yeah, that that was the story. Well, good luck, uh, and uh, we'll check in on Tuesday, of course, and see how it turns out. I want to yeah. Let me say one thing real quick. I'm looking at the the 538, their sort of aggregator of all the polls. And back on August 3rd up until about August 10th, so like one week at the beginning of August, it was like a neck and neck race basically. And that was, I think, a period – you guys remember everybody was like, oh my goodness, is, is Gavin Newsom about to be recalled? What a, what a disaster. Yeah. The, the Dems have uh, stepped on their own two feet – on their own feet all over again. And since then, it's kind of just gradually widened to one, and then about a, two weeks later, it was to four, and then to five, and then to eight, and now it's like, you know, the uh, yes or excuse me, no is was like has like a thirteen point lead, and the UT also just had a new the new poll today that found almost exactly like what the the average is according to five thirty eight of all polls at like fifty four yeah. percent saying no. And somebody who works in politics in town pointed me pointed out to me last summer that there's this tendency in statewide elections that if you looked at when Jerry Brown was running in 2010, that there was a lot of uh, a lot of apprehension around Democrats that he should have been beating Meg Whitman by more and that he wasn't. And then the campaign started ramping up around September, and he sort of just added a point to his total every week until he ended up winning comfortably um, and that, uh, that that was a trend that was sort of similar when Gavin Newsom won for the first time. People thought it should have been a blowout. John Cox was, a, was not a serious candidate. Why wasn't, this, uh, why wasn't this shaping up to be the blowout that, that everyone was expecting? And then sure enough, uh, a few weeks later, he won in a blowout. Uh, this was explained to me and somebody kind of suggesting what they thought was going to happen with uh, Barbara Bree and Todd Gloria for mayor and last year in San Diego. And it basically did happen. And now I like I look at this dynamic of this race and it looks to basically be happening again. And so I don't know what to, what insight to draw from that other than the, the balance of power in California politics seems to be 
this relatively large group of people that doesn't live and breathe politics and they tune in as it gets closer to election. And in the time before they do, we tend to see um, a lot of concern or intrigue in the media about whether the race is going to be closer than conventional wisdom would have it. And then sure enough, uh, people who aren't tuned in months out, tune in and you get the you know the, the the gap that you would expect based on uh, registration or previous history, um, and so I, I don't know. It's just it, it's just we're a few days from this election, and at the moment it seems like it's not going to be close at all. Uh, just a few weeks ago, we were sitting here wondering how it was so close, and uh, I don't know. It's a it's a lesson I'm going to keep in my back pocket next time I find myself wondering why something in California politics. Uh, is not shaping up the way people might have expected it to. Yeah. Now, um, obviously, it could go any it could way. Could go any we way. See, we, right. Yeah. Let's just be clear about that. We've 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 been surprised by outcomes before. Pod credits. Thanks for listening to the Voice of San Diego podcast, the most popular public affairs podcast in San Diego. Keep up with all our big investigation and takes on local news with The Morning Report, our most popular newsletter. Subscribe now at bosd.org slash newsletters. I'm Andrew Keats, assistant editor at Voice of San Diego. Scott Lewis is editor-in-chief at Voice of San Diego. And this show is produced by Nate John. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.